90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Hungry. <laughs> yeah. Did you get something in the mail? I did get something in the mail. <laughs> it was so exciting. I ripped it open, and I think it's a box of a compilation of perfectly dunkable cookies. Sorry, biscuits. Biscuits. So we promised that we would do the test from the fun paper a few weeks ago and try some of these different English biscuits with tea. So we've both made cups of tea. I bought a bunch of English biscuits on Amazon. Thank you, patrons. Oh, so excited. And uh, shipped half of them to Shannon. Oh, man. I am so... Let me tell you, I just... I wanted to talk about it already. This is how excited I was. These shortbread cookies, this tin is just a work of art, isn't it? It is. And those are the ones I'm most excited about. Me too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, except uh, for the words clotted cream, which I know is delicious, but just sounds awful, both alliteratively and, I don't know, illustratively. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, we've got, uh, let's see, we've got digestives, we've got uh, rich tea classics, we've got hobnobs, which are the Odie cookie uh, which and are the ones I... The shortbread. Yeah, so the Odie ones won a lot of it, right? Didn't they? But that's, yeah. that's the one I'm least and excited about. <laughs> I like oat cookies. I'm... Yeah. I like... The only ones of these I've had are the shortbreads, though. So, and I've just had the digestives. I've only had McVitie's. I'm a big McVitie's fan. I like the McVitie's with the chocolate. We lived on them in the UK. I love them so much. I'm excited to try the rich tea ones just because I didn't know those existed. But looking at them, they do not look delicious. <laughs> they look kind of like Ritz. Yeah, they look like a cracker. <laughs> like my my mouth is not, like my eyeballs can't get control over the fact that that's a cookie at all. But these shortbread ones look spectacular. So what All right, of, so what are we going to start with? Well, I have to ask what kind of tea you have first. Ah, yes, yes, yes. So I have uh, a maple ginger tea. Oh, maple ginger. Okay, see, I see that I was going to complain that we were going to do this too late at night, right? So I have an orange rooibos tea. So clearly we've both gone with decaf teas for our <laughs> digestive. Come on, I'm over 30. Exactly. I'm to have caffeine after 5 o'clock. Exactly. So, okay, great. All right, so as long as our biscuit tasting, you know, we're not doing it true, um nurse working on the ward style but yeah i mean i wanted to make a cup of earl gray me too but i thought the flavor is too much for this experiment number one and number two yeah i want to go to sleep sometime so exactly um what's first oh let's let's try the rich tea i agree Uh, okay Mm -hmm. so let's see i gotta open my package here get my knife out So I pre-opened all mine because I didn't want to mess it up my whole. Oh, you're really, so, you didn't need the knife. There's a little tear here gum wrapper thing on these rich teas. Come on. No, you always need the knife. <laughs> well, That's why I carry Milwaukee knife, right? <laughs> mine, <laughs> mine's already falling apart. Yeah. Okay. So 
the first cookie in the sleeve is broken in half. Yeah, but the uh, so one's are we? Good. Are we dunking or are we just taking a bite first here? Oh no, we're dunking first. Okay, dunking, dunking. Okay, here we go. This tastes like an animal cracker. That is exactly what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> it is one hundred percent an animal cracker. It is delicious. <laughs> No, I don't think I like it dunk because it just tastes like a wet hamburger. <laughs> oh, these are not going to survive the day. Not even close. <laughs> it's got that, I think it, it absorbs definitely a lot because it has that characteristic of animal crackers. If you yeah. put them in your mouth and suddenly your mouth is dry. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Like they feel like it's swollen to five times its normal size within your mouth. Yep. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, not great dunkability, but um, yeah, those are good cookies, biscuits. <laughs> but not a ton of. Let's see what the. Let's see, fat. One point three grams of fat per biscuit. That's per, more than I would have thought. Yeah, one hundred and sixty calories. That surprises me. Hmm. All right. Well. I mean, I'm not. Well, like, no, that's that's kilojoules. Come on, we're not we're not talking about banana units here. Thirty-eight <laughs> well, calories. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, that makes much more sense. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's like 160. <laughs> I, I can eat a McDouble for that. I know, I know. It's like that's <laughs> unbelievable. Ah, sorry, I hadn't made that kilojoule connection in my mind. <clears throat> so, okay. uh, I, I've got to say. Um, one of the guys at the shop turned me on to this YouTube channel, uh, Cutting Edge Engineering. Okay. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy's in Australia. He does all these really cool, big, like, repairing things off bulldozers and that sort of stuff for the mining industry there. Uh, but takes every opportunity he can to hate on the imperial system. <laughs> and that's what he calls inches or bananas. Oh. So it's about two and a half bananas. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I love that. That makes me really happy. I will say that as the field person in the department, I get a lot of flack because all the stuff I do is in Imperial units because every map I use is in Imperial units. Like, <laughs> So mm-hmm. I go back and forth a lot, and I tell the students that they need to learn how to also go back and forth a lot. Yes, so. and... Also, I mean, just side comment here. If you're not just going to listen to nasty mouth noises of us eat cookies for an hour. <laughs> like, we're actually going to talk in between about some some things here. Uh, but, yeah, no, so it's, to me, it's really important to, like, switch back and forth for, um, you know, I'll say, okay, 100 millimeters is about four inches. And, like, that's kind of my guideline that mm-hmm. I use when... Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still definitely have to pull out my phone and do a lot of. Oh yeah, I mean when it's anything that is yeah needs to be perfect. Um, I always think of mine in. Uh, I just have the one inch is two point five centimeters because that's in every PMAG paper that I've written. You know you have to write. We take one inch cores right, and then you have to put that in parentheses. So <laughs> that's my uh, 
one that I keep in there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I still never have really got the hang of pressure in Pascals. Why would or you? Or Pascals. Or in um, Inches of Mercury. It means yeah. nothing to me. It didn't until I started flying. Then because oh. of altimeter settings. Now it makes a lot of oh, sense to me. Oh, okay. I gotcha. 28. Because you always set your altimeter to like, uh-huh. you know, around here it's like 29.95 inches of mercury mm-hmm. typically. In my head it's like 28 is stormy. <laughs> right. 30 and above is sunny. That's all I got. <laughs> like it just doesn't have you ever... feel like a lot of movement in there. Have you done the experiment? So we knew this was going to be a semi-stream of consciousness show with the <laughs> the cookie eating. But have you done the experiment of using a balloon and a skewer and a mason jar to make a barometer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was one of the things that we did when I was in high school. And we went to the summer academy at OU, which is why I wound up going to OU and doing meteorology and geology because it was a geosciences summer academy. So it was a week of geography, a week of geology, and a week of meteorology. And so we made that contraption, and then we went down into the basement of Sarkis and then up onto the roof of Sarkis, which is the building that oh, we nice. lived in, which was 15 right. stories. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Now, I made one and just put it on our break room table. Mm-hmm. And it's been kind of fun because then every time you go in to refill your coffee cup or whatever, you can watch it change. I'll just take a look at it. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of storms coming through, so I imagine this week it will be exciting to watch your balloon the, barometer. The needle on the one today deflected a little over a half an inch Ooh. during the course of the day. Um, I was like, I wonder, you know, maybe I set up a GoPro to take a picture every 30 minutes or something. Oh, yeah. With a ruler cool. and like, can I calibrate it? Oh, I bet. Well, like how, how sensitive is it compared to temperature and yeah. what kind of, what kind of comparison to like the local ASOS station can mm-hmm. I get? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I think that'd be cool. That'd be really hmm. neat. We just four stars to do stuff by taking the elevator. <laughs> well, our building's only, you know, one and a half stories. So Yeah. It's not going to really get you there. Like the 175 feet or whatever we had. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what's next? I think we should do these oat things. Okay. I'm, I'm kind of excited about these. I know you are. <laughs> Get the... <clears throat> this is a hearty cookie. Biscuit. This is a hearty biscuit, I will say. It's twice the thickness. Oh, wow. Of the rich tea. And is... Oh. Okay. This one's real hard to tell if you're just going to look at it because it says 470 kilocalories per 100 grams. So that is a useless information. Um, but just 72 calories per biscuit. So. Okay, and you can see the marks, kind of scorch marks on the bottom from the conveyor belt. Mm-hmm, yep, yep. Where it got cooked, and I see some big chunks of oat in it. Big chunks of oat. All right, I'm going to dip. Okay, dipping. Okay, no, I lied. This is delicious. <laughs> hmm. It's pretty good. It's not as good as I anticipated. I no. think I built it up too much. 
Oh, really? Oh, you certainly did. Because my my expectations of this biscuit were, yeah, slim to nil. <laughs> Which is weird. I like oatmeal cookies a whole lot, except when they have raisins. That's an abomination of man. But. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know. And I eat oatmeal, so I don't know why I thought that this cookie was going to be so bad. I think it didn't photograph well in the paper. <laughs> And so yeah, I was expecting sweeter. See, and it's sweeter than I expected. Hmm. I was. I think I was expecting the ones that you get that have the little white icing drizzle on top. Oh. I think I was expecting that level of sweet, which it's not. But it's, it's still not pretty a, good. It's not American sweet. <laughs> right. It's it, it's not McDouble calories per. No, no. It's certainly UK sweet. Maybe I don't know. This is good. This is better than I thought. I am pleasantly surprised at that. I will also, say... It's, oh, it's more grainier. It's, it's got bigger grains than I thought it would have, but that's not a bad thing. No, I actually quite like that. Um, I will say that these are all McVitie's brand. So Yes. And maybe I'm saying that wrong. Maybe it's McVitie's. Well, except for the shortbread, because <laughs> I couldn't find shortbread. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so this one is a fancy shortbread, which I'm very excited about. But wow, that's shortbread house of Edinburgh. (laughs) (laughs) So these are called hobnobs. These are delicious. This is a good. I forgot breakfast. I'm gonna eat two of these cookies. Situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. (laughs) No. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I think they would be better in milk than in tea. Oh, a hundred percent. But remember. There was milk in the tea that they used. That's true, and I'm just using plain tea. Yeah, because who does that? <laughs> well, I mean, we're in the South, and I say who puts sugar in tea, too. But I, yeah, yes, <laughs> I agree. Uh, Oklahoma's been walking around acting like we've always had sweet tea, and it's ridiculous to me. We've never had sweet tea. No. Like, we're not that far south. (laughs) Like, you used to have to travel through your state and get to somewhere else before your tea was most certainly going to have sugar in it. And so I think it's very funny. Yes. No, I agree. Mm -hmm. Everyone's like, all tea here is sweet tea. No, it's not. It wasn't ever till Rudy's Barbecue came in. Don't act like that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I do love some half and half tea though I will say. Mm, yeah no. every once in a while half sweet half unsweet is not bad but hmm. we we did have a recent experience where i had ordered a vanilla coke and my wife had ordered a peach tea and they messed up and they gave her vanilla tea that was odd <gasps> weird <laughs> did you get a peach yeah. coke <laughs> no no they just did vanilla on both oh hmm. interesting that's interesting do you guys have yeah. one of those t2o places yet has it no, made its way to arkansas it's from texas and so their sweet tea so it'll selection. be here soon yes it will be <laughs> yeah following your water burger um yeah the sweet tea selection there is through the roof and so that's the newest and greatest thing hmm. yeah i mean i i don't like sweet tea so not so much for me but that's okay yeah, yeah. but so one thing that I've noticed on all of these, except the shortbread, but all the McVities that I really like is their 
they're in a shrink sleeve, like a heat shrink sleeve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's not a stupid plastic tray. Oh, there's that's going to live in a landfill forever. No package wasting here. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't keep them from getting broken anyway. They just acknowledge it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, I agree. I'm a big fan of that. And it yeah. fits in a cup holder. <laughs> Which makes me sound like a monster. (laughs) But you have to remember that I did field work in Scotland. And so we were only in the car all the time. And so you'd have your sleeve of chocolate McVitie's standing upright in the cup holder. (laughs) And you'd say, hey, pass me one of those. And then you'd get back to work. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Yep. (laughs) That's how it went. Ever since I had a Dr. Pepper there and I thought I was going to vomit all over because it was just like nearly pure prune juice. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's what a Dr. Pepper tastes like over there. It's made with prune juice. It is. I mean, I'm sure regular Dr. Pepper is too, but it's covered up by, you know, 80 That's gallons what I tell of myself. sugar. I say it's, I say it's fruit Good juice. Good for you. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It tastes awful over there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So... So, yeah. So, you had to eat the McVitie's to get that taste out of your mouth. Right. Yeah. Plus, they were I mean, good with Dr. Guinness. Pepper is, it, it is my poison of choice here. Mm-hmm. Likewise. I, I think that's a sweet tea, unsweet tea kind of thing, too. Like, there are Dr. Pepper people and there are other soda people. Uh-huh. Oh, 100%. But the Dr. Pepper people are on a different different level of obsessed with that drink. I don't really like any other type of soda. Yeah. Like, I virtually only drink i mean shouldn't drink soda at all yada yada but yeah it's virtually only dr pepper Mm -hmm. so we've had a infestation in northwest arkansas of jiffy trips which i'm a big fan of okay Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a great convenience store chain and they have dr pepper ices Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 7-Eleven does here, too. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a weekly thing now. <laughs> Since it's been hot outside, you got to go. and. Yep. <laughs> you know, I'm a big fan of the, um, I hate cream soda. I hate it with a passion reserved for, I don't know, for the Dallas Cowboys, in my case. <laughs> like, I hate cream soda. <laughs> Right? Like, oh, and the Dallas Cowboys. Um, <laughs> and chemistry. So just bring it all on. But I love that cream soda, Dr. Pepper. Yeah, it's really good. It I is agree really good. 100%. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It makes like the Dr. Pepper less sweet somehow. And yeah. Yeah. But it's better than vanilla Dr. Pepper. It's weird. Which is still pretty darn good. Exactly. It's a super strange thing to me. And I don't like to think about it too much because it hurts did you did you know you can buy vanilla syrup at the store yeah because i've done that in cream soda dr pepper it's very good wow well thanks yep know what i'm doing tomorrow (laughs) 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 on that note shall we continue yeah so let's do the digestives next now these are really crumbly for sure Okay, I'm going to be careful opening my package yeah. here. I pre-opened because I didn't want cookie stuff everywhere. 
you didn't want the hate mail from people, and I was like, but ASMR is a thing. <laughs> okay. So, very thin, very crumbly. See the conveyor belt pattern on the bottom? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mine's almost To me, it looks like burnt. a ginger snap. Yeah, yep. And I think I'm going to be really disappointed. Yeah. All when right. it's not a ginger snap. But let's try it. Correct. Let's Dunking. do it. It's just a slightly less sweet version of the rich tea ones. Yeah. It's still dry. It's like a hearty animal cracker. If I it's bought got a little bit of cinnamon almost, maybe. A little bit. If I bought wheat animal crackers, this is what I would expect them to. Like whole wheat animal crackers, this is what I expect them to taste like. Yeah. Again, I already hmm. knew that I like these. <laughs> but that's... I don't mind these at all. Yeah, that's absolutely the description of them, I think, is whole wheat animal cracker. <laughs> I think I would eat these over either of the other two. Whoa, that's a bold statement. <laughs> hmm. It's definitely crunchy and crumbly. Like, that one needs to be contained. <laughs> yeah. Less good for eating in the car. Yeah. That's why you got to have the chocolate. So the chocolate is like... <clears throat> that one's dry. Really dry. Hold on. <laughs> so the chocolate ones are like fudge stripes, where it's chocolate on half of the bottom, you know? Like it just oh, yeah. got set down into a millimeter layer of chocolate. Right. Point oh four three inches of chocolate. <laughs> Bananas of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, so that must um, that must keep it together a little bit more. That makes sense. Yeah, the one thing they didn't consider in the study really was how much crap it gets in your tea. I know. There's a lot of floaters in here now. <laughs> but maybe they don't care. Maybe right? not. Or maybe they just can't see it because of all the milk. All the milk. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Hmm. I did just get my yearly purchase of a single <laughs> box of orange oreos for halloween <laughs> i saw those at the store tonight yeah mm-hmm. big fan big fan yep. of those orange oreos <laughs> i don't know something about them transports me back to i don't think they're around in my childhood but yeah it's like mm-hmm. little debbie christmas tree cakes oh. they're not just zebra cakes cut in a different shape people <laughs> They taste better. Ah, ah. Oh, man. Do we have to get on the cosmic brownie, walnut brownie fight? My husband and I have that one quite a bit. Uh, I'm team brownie. Out of those two, probably more so cosmic brownie. Yeah. I think I already knew that. Yeah. I assume you're team walnut. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is this a geoscience podcast? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> Do you, so like that podcast that I know we both used to listen to was Nerds on Draft. <laughs> oh, missed that show. I know, exactly. And like their whole show would open up with and then they'd talk about what they were drinking. So 
I don't and random that. interspersed thoughts, just like we're doing now. Exactly like we're doing now. So thanks for teaching us, nerds on draft. Now you're except they had IR guns to measure their beer temperature. <laughs> And because of a recent refrigerator failure in our house, I happen to have an IR gun sitting here on the table by oh me. Oh my gosh. Your tea is going to be lukewarm. I don't know if you want to broadcast this temperature to get any more hate mail. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, probably not. The tea is relatively cool mm-hmm. now. We talked for, we had a lot of venting to do pre-show, so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the tea is not at optimal temperature. But I will say hmm. that neither one of us microwaved our water to make our tea because we're not monsters. No, I used an electric kettle. I did let it boil, though. I didn't catch it in time. Mm. Well, I did do something that I wouldn't have done before, which was I used to. So I have this enamel kettle that I bought at a junk shop years and years ago. And it's just my tea kettle. It says it's avocado green. <laughs> okay. Imagine. Is it if like you old, will. like six, like 60s, 70s refrigerator green? Uh huh. Mm hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And it's old 60s or 70s refrigerator. It has two yellow, two orange, and two white flowers on it. <laughs> you can imagine it, right? Like perfect. I, I can see it. Yes. Yes. And I'm obsessed with it. I will not let it go. So. Even though I'm the biggest coffee snob on earth, I do not have a gooseneck kettle. I use this janky old (laughs) enamel kettle I found in this junk shop with my mom here in Norman. Um, So it can't be more than 25 years old, but it's somewhere around there. Well, in my possession, it is most certainly from the 60s. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And so you know how enamel gets. Like, there are definitely some rust spots. It's, It's years are numbered. I don't know if it'll even last a couple more years. Um, but I used to just boil my water and make my pour over my AeroPress, whatever. And then I would just reboil the rest of the water. But that's a no-no. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not as, I mean, I drink drip coffee 99% of the time. So. <laughs> yeah. I know you're not that big of a snob. I'm talking to the one guy that told me to have, buy an AeroPress. That was our listener, and he was absolutely right. So that's the only person I'm directing this at, <laughs> is that now no, I know. We know we've got some listeners that are into the coffee industry, even. Oh, that's right. Yes, we do. So see, now I know you don't double boil the water. That's a no. All right. Mm-hmm. So I learned that. I didn't do that. But we certainly started five minutes later because I had to boil my tea. Yes. Yes, okay. we did. Yeah. Not that we didn't have anything to talk about. It's true. As we both said, this will be a short show. <laughs> what are we at here? Yeah, 27 minutes already? Yep. <laughs> well, I think... And we hopefully should... you're still with us, because it's hopefully. not a typical show here. Absolutely not. Um, but we needed this, so it is what it is. But I think we should go. I want... I'm so excited about the last one. Okay, yeah. So, Shortbread House of Edinburgh. <laughs> truly handmade shortbread with clotted cream. Shortbread with clotted cream, and it's got these fancy pineapples, and it's a very fancy, ooh, it's an octagon. The tin is an octagon. That's nice. 105 calories per cookie. Oh, okay, so these are big. (laughs) They got weird marks on them. (laughs) 
Oh, they're in like a little boat. Yeah, they got a little boat. But like, look at the top. All the tops are different. They all have weird little holes in them. The one I pulled out looks like a vampire's been at it. It's got all these weird little double holes in the top. Oh yeah, mine does. Mine has that too. And yeah, they're all different. One of them, they look like they look like sky charts. They do. It's so strange. I wonder uh, if that's some kind of spiked drum that feeds dough into some machine or something. Something, I don't know. man. That it's so uneven. That's very interesting. Well, but it says handmade though. Oh, see, no, it's probably some fork. <laughs> Truly or handmade. somebody's pet. Not falsely handmade. <laughs> okay. Hmm. They're very thick. Okay, I'm excited. I am too. I'm going to dunk. Dunking. Oh. <laughs> hmm. I need a minute with this one, I think. Yeah, I'm going to need a minute to let it soak. Yes, it's very thick. It's very thick. The, the tea did not get in far enough, so I'm going to soak it again here. Hmm. Okay, let's try that. That is a delicious shortbread. Yes. It's very... I think we discussed this already. I think we both like shortbread anyway. But this is very rich. Yeah, you're not going to eat more than a couple of these. Like, no, not I feel at all. like I'm rubbing a stick of butter on my face. <laughs> I absolutely agree. Like, I feel like the shortbread I usually get is really hard and really crumbly, and this is not those things. Yeah, wow. 105 calories of cookie and six grams of fat per cookie because it's all butter. Right. Which is great. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. That is... It's just got flour. It's 22% butter. <laughs> and 11% clotted cream. Amazing. <laughs> that is a dessert right there. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Put a little bit of ice cream between these. <laughs> Just go ahead and pre-dial the 9-1. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. Those are spectacular. Those are very good. Uh, let's mm -hmm. see. So we got about, what, seven in a boat? So about 14 in a 10. Yeah, that's good. I now, also like, you know, I, I said the other ones, they didn't have little plastic boats in them. These don't either. These are paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, exactly. good job. Exactly. Like, that's a nice tin, too. Um, so I'd be curious if you remember, were these the most expensive? Oh, by far. Okay. <laughs> these were probably as much as the other three combined. Combined, okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're much more nutrient-rich, dense, dense. That's the word I wanted. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't calculate the dollars per calorie here, but. <laughs> oh, that's the nerd part coming up. <laughs> but I can. Give me just a second. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Oh, I have no doubts this wins. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> hmm, that was pretty good, though. 
What an exciting... Well, and you can use the tin and a balloon and make your barometer. Oh, man. And then we'll talk about that for a whole show. <laughs> no, we had decided that we were just going to, you know, make the cookies the, the star of the show. But I did have something that I thought we could discuss that is in our purview. And it comes from, as I'm sure I've mentioned, we've been looking at our undergraduate curriculum and restructuring it, as many schools have been doing, for quite some time. And a class that fell off of the undergraduate curriculum a long time ago, before I was a professor, which infuriates me, was CS 1313. Ah, yes, programming. Intro programming. Mm -hmm. Now, when I took it... I mean, this was a requirement for both of our degrees, so. When I took it, it was Fortran 95. I don't know what it was when you took it. C. Or if you remember what it was. No, we, we did C. You did C? Okay. Yeah. So, they updated that. But, we got rid of that as a requirement, and I was very angry about it. We got rid of the four calculuses as a requirement. We only have three calculuses or two because now they have a fast calculus track. Um, which I couldn't argue with, although it makes me sad because I think that's one thing that distinguished us is that we have a very rigorous mathematics requirement as opposed to a lot of other geology undergrads so okay fine but you can take cs 1313 as um as an elective and have it count and i'm wondering what your thoughts on taking intro programming are because there's a lot of well i'll get on that too i want to hear your thoughts first well my first thought is cs 1313 i did not know programming when i took it and it made me actively not like it. <laughs> okay. Because at least when I took it, I know different people had different sections, different teachers, different approaches to it. Ours was taught from a computer science standpoint. Mm-hmm. Which, if you're an undergrad that's just wanting to help, you know, write a program to help solve problems... I don't care about the big O time in which that algorithm runs compared to another sorting algorithm. Like, that's for the computer scientists to figure out. I just want to use the sort method to sort my data so I can go on about my day. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. So, I would say, depends on the program. Like if, if it's going to be Python and applied Python, so how to make graphs, how to read data in, how to write data out, do that kind of stuff, yes, you should take it. If it's going to be, we are going to describe how the compiler unrolls a for loop when it creates the assembler or the assembly language for your program, not what you need as a scientist. You should just take an online Python course. So that's interesting. I feel like this is the difference in learning HTML back in the day versus like anyone can make a website now using, you know, any of the prepackaged things that will 
that you don't have to know HTML. Like, <laughs> and none of them sponsor this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Teehee. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I feel like that's yeah. what you just described. Yeah, and I mean, I'm all for, I find the now anyway, like the nitty gritty of how the thing works, fascinating. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but from especially as an undergrad, or yeah, or to get into it to start with, or just as a scientist with a typical level of interest in computers, I care about how can I get the thing done. So that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's like active learning essentially, right? You hook people with the ideas and problems that you can solve, and you can pick and choose the depth it's two different ways to learn there, right? You can pick and choose the depth at which you want to go into the reasonings behind it. Which I think is the very fine line you walk as an educator and people have very strong appealing opinions about both of those directions, right? Like, do it just give you the tools to do the thing? Or do you, how much do you need to understand about the thing you're using? Right. Mm-hmm. I quite enjoy it. It is a hard line for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and it probably, I don't know. I'd have to look this up. This seems like fun paper material. Or maybe we can have our star guest who's been on twice, um, Dr. Megan Elwood Madden, back on to talk about this because I think this is a very interesting thing. Is, Is this necessarily how people learn differently or what's the way to go? I think your way is the way I think most people would say is to go about it, right? You, How do you solve these problems? That's the best way to hook people on, on things as opposed to going immediately into a theory. Like, we didn't have the same CS1313 teacher. Like, I loved my professor. I thought it was incredibly interesting, even though I date myself to say we were doing Fortran 95. Um, but at the same time... I was working at the Severe Storms Laboratory, which was a Unix environment, and so I wasn't familiar with that at all, right? So I think it was interesting because at work, I had, like, the immediate usage of the info, you know, and then always learning the theory in the class. I could see maybe if I just took the class without having the work to do at the Severe Storms Lab that I did, that it might not have been as interesting, yeah, well, and I don't know. Like to me, it's what are you going to spend your time working on? So, like, let's say that you had worked at the Severe Storm Lab as a career. Mm-hmm. Like, are you going to spend your time trying to optimize how you calculate an integral, or are you going to use integral functionality built into some math package in your programming language of choice? to solve your equations to go to your science. Yeah, now you are. That's exactly what you'll do now. But also And that's what you should focus on because that's where you know the other people that want to make integral routines run faster like that's what they're focusing right. on. That's their career. Exactly. I feel like that was a shift though around the time I was going through undergrad. Because those things just didn't weren't in wide usage. I know they existed, but they weren't in wide usage, right? No one was using Python. Like that wasn't a thing. No, I mean, at that time, everybody picked up their copy of numerical recipes mm-hmm. yep, exactly and dutifully right. typed in the code. That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. There's none of these fancy 
interfaces like in R or whatever. Um, and so, but today too, at the university, the biology department runs a class, an R class. And so everyone just takes that instead yep. of CS 1313, which I was looking, I was just looking at it today. Um, and it looks like it is in C now is what they're using in that class. Yeah, so it's probably the same class I had then. Yeah, probably. Which is interesting that that's still what that is. Because now it's called intro programming for non-majors, which I would think even more you wouldn't use C. Mm, it might have been called that when I had it. I don't remember. Really? Okay. Uh, it definitely wasn't when I did it. Well, I mean, C's great. I program in C a lot. It's still used a ton right right but yeah like as a scientist it's probably not what you're going to program in mostly right anymore. exactly and so if this class is for non-majors probably you've got a lot of not computer science majors <laughs> so maybe you yeah. should do something something different so now i know our meteorology department has their own programming class which i also find very interesting and i imagine is quite python heavy so I took the very early incarnation of that when oh, it was you did. an infant class. Oh. I took it remotely while I was working at Oak Ridge one summer. Oh, okay. And it was in Python. It was all project-based. There were no lectures. Oh. There were some things like, okay, go read this, go read this. Here's some example code that you should look at and understand. Now here's a problem. Like, here's a big block of radar data. Write a program to read it. Wow. And maybe there were some skeletons of the outline of the program to help mm -hmm. get you started. But you're, I don't remember how many, I think there were like 13 projects that you could do. And, you know, you had to do so many to get an A, so many to get a B, so many, and so on. And you could pick them. So, like, I would sit there at my desk after work and be like, okay, it's... Thursday evening, like I'm going to knock out two programming projects for this class. Gotcha. So I definitely learned from it, uh, but I think it was somewhere in between those two classes was the ideal class, which hopefully is what it's evolved to now. Some, mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, many I mean, years it's, later. It's, it's offered every semester, including the summer semester. So the meteorology one is so. Okay. But yeah, it's all Python. That's that's very interesting. Yeah, that did not exist. I just remember. But there should one hundred percent be one for geology. Yeah, and there isn't, and there's a lot of argument about this. Um, so now we do have a, and this was new this year. Um, we have a. I don't think it's called geostatistics, but that's what we were wanting. Basically, it to be. Um, yeah. Taught by one of our geophysics professors. It computation. Oh, no, that's not it. Because it's for everybody. Hmm. It might be that computational geophysics. I don't think that's it. It's an undergraduate class. Um, because that's what a lot of people are pushing for is a geostatistics class. Because we don't have. I don't know what your degree looked like going through meteorology. We didn't have to take stats, but everybody did. Maybe we did have to take stats. 
we didn't have to take it, but it was an easy way to tack on the math minor. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we had like two, <laughs> we had like two open electives and everyone took stats and partial differential equations because then you got your math minor. Exactly. Uh huh. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, that is right. Cause we had to take numerical methods and linear algebra. Um, and so, yeah, we don't have a statistics class that is required and you absolutely should. And so that happened just this last semester. And since I went on sabbatical, I don't know like how that class went. I know not a ton of people took it. Um, and then geography has a, my graduate students, my new graduate students are taking, they have a statistics course in geography. And so they're taking that one, which is more project based. So we'll see how, what they think of that. But it absolutely should. I don't see how you can get out of college in any science without taking a statistics course. And honestly, without taking a programming course. I agree. Like, I was appalled. Because I'm, yeah, I am a big proponent of that. When we taught some Python to corporate classes... I was appalled at how many people spent weeks of their life using spreadsheets to do a task that a Python script could accomplish in 30 seconds, and it might take an hour to write the script. 100%. I just read this book. Um, it's by this guy called Cal Newport. He is a computer science professor at Georgetown, I think. Yes. Um, he might be at George Washington University. One of those two. And he's written a whole bunch of books, basically about optimization. You would love this dude. Um, he does have a book called Digital Minimalism, which is how I got turned on to him. And I read that book, and it's basically how not to let, you know, digital stuff rule your life. It's okay. But then he wrote this book called Deep Work, which was really cool. And it was about how to get – this is actually sort of one of my sabbatical projects – and it's like how to how to be less distracted and go back to like really deep focused work, which is not a problem I think you have. It is a problem I have. And I was like, how can you do all this stuff and unplug when you're, you know, a computer science professor? And so he talks a lot about that in there. And that's just one of those things I think to do programming, you have to focus. And I just think that's a the act of that is a good skill to have. And you have to do it when you're in class. So I don't know. I like that class. I thought it was really good because a lot of things are just theory. And the problem comes when you get into upper division classes or heaven forbid, when you graduate and you have to apply all that theory to a problem. How do you do it? You know, and I think programming teaches you at a basic level, maybe how to approach those problems from a lot of different ways. Yeah. And like, you know, I keep saying Python because that's the hammer that I choose for most of my problems. Right. But it doesn't have to be. Like you said, it's a, it's a mindset and just having a hammer that's yes. not a spreadsheet. Yeah. In that book. So he talks about, <laughs> it was funny, there's a, a person that he profiles in there who went to school for like economics or something like that. And so he got to his first big boy job. And he sat down, and they had this process you had to go through to crunch all these data. 
that they had. And they had to do this for each project. And he said it took like 13 hours or something to do it all. And then you wrote your little report. And it was on an Excel sheet. And he was like, no. Even though he wasn't a programmer, he's like an economics, but he's like, I can fix this. And this is years ago. So, and so he wrote an Excel macro and he got it from 13 hours to two and a half. And they were essentially appalled he would do that. They thought he thought he was going to be like lauded as this, you know, super genius. And they were just like, no, you can't change that paradigm. And he basically yep. got in trouble. And he's like, I just saved, you know, everyone here a day and a half of work. And so he just quit and he went and got his computer science degree. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I couldn't stand that. And he said, I just saw the future for me was a whole bunch of that over and over again. Yeah. 100%. And like I said, the amount of time I see people doing stuff like that, it's like, don't you want to do something unique with your brain yeah or just something else yeah spend your time doing deep work on something else because you're not wasting your time yeah reinventing this thing over and over again mm-hmm. no so i i agree and i would actually really like to talk about maybe in another episode revisit how to learn and interact with programming environments now I think that'd be great because, <laughs> yeah, but, I, I haven't done that in a while. So, yeah, that would be good. Well, and hopefully, you know, when you're over here on your sabbatical, yes. we can do some some experimentation with different different ways to put you in programming environments to interact with things and data. I, so I imagine myself sitting in a chair and you guys just randomly calling out a bunch of nouns and then eventually saying my name to see if I'm paying attention. Is that what's going to happen? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's basically it, which brings us to everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun paper Friday. I felt like, felt like the tea glass clink was more appropriate. Here. I absolutely agree. That was beautiful. <laughs> I want to say that this cat paper is not brought to you by me. <laughs> Uh, no, it's brought to you by Daryl. Of course. Thank you, Daryl. I knew you and didn't pick this out. <laughs> no, and that'll become clear as we discuss it. Um, <clears throat> Domestic cats discriminate their names from other words by Sato et al. Oh, my gosh. I mean, maybe as a cat owner... Subtitle, you... we all knew this. <laughs> okay. It's... Well, okay. We'll get to it. It's the discussion in this paper that truly sets it apart. All right. This is what I want to say. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yes, I, I will be fair. I'm being, I'm being facetious because he hates cats. Um. <laughs> hates a strong word. All right, strongly dislikes. <laughs> I much prefer dogs. Uh, which is funny. They make that point. Everyone much prefers dogs, even researchers, because there are very few cat papers out there. Because I think no one thought that cats cared about us enough to pay attention. <laughs> Though, if you live in Japan, you're more likely to own a cat than a dog. Impressive. 8.9 million versus 9.5 million for dog versus cat owners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was um, stunned at the number of 600 million cats live with humans. I know. All I could hear was Bob Barker <laughs> encouraging us to get your pet spayed or neutered. I was going to say, it's only 12 people. But, you know. 
<laughs> but, yeah, but 600 million cats between them. I thought it was a bit rude, and I felt a bit sane in a bad way about how they said all the cat owners in this study were female. <laughs> that was a little odd. Yeah. <laughs> Super weird. Um, <laughs> but this is interesting because my six-year-old daughter has recently been asking me where dogs came from. And then a week later, she said, where cats come from? And she doesn't mean, like, where do puppies come from? She's like, how did a dog become a dog? I'm like, man, this is a this is a real intense question. <laughs> and you're like, a hard left turn in the face of natural selection. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my brother owns a pug, so I don't know about that. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So this was interesting because it says cats started to cohabitate with humans about 9,500 years ago. I know dogs, it was more like 14,000 years ago, so. Right. And I assumed this was much later. But yeah, the whole point is, do cats even care about us? That's the whole point in this. But it was a cool set of experiments that they did, looking at a couple different populations of cats, right? Cats that live with people in a (laughs) quote-unquote low number of cat environment, right? Four or less cats (laughs) in a house. (laughs) Right. And then they also did experiments, the same experiments, at a cat cafe. And we have had numerous dog fun papers on here about do dogs know their names? Do dogs know if you're sad or if you're happy? Turns out they do because they're, you know, they care about looking at you. (laughs) And so do cats do this? Because cats don't really look at you that much. They talk about, you know, cats beg for food, but they don't stare at you and drool like dogs do, right? So do cats even know their own names? Do they even know their own owner's voice from restrainers? <laughs> and they did some experiments on these two populations of cats to find that out. And, yes, cats can distinguish their name from other random words and from names of other cats that they live with. Yes, names of other cats that they live with, unless... You're in a cat cafe situation, which I'm guessing you've never been to a cat cafe. I have not. No. Okay. I've been to a cat cafe. It was disgusting. <laughs> and I love cats. <laughs> which... I, that's why I haven't been to a cat cafe. <laughs> it was likely the specific cat cafe. I'm just going to chalk it up to that. But like, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you can imagine why it was disgusting. But cats in a cat cafe situation don't know their own names, but they do recognize that one of the cats in the situation's name is being called. Which, I mean, I guess makes sense because they're not getting as much one-on-one from somebody that knows their name or cares. Exactly. And, you know, it's an adoption situation. Like, my dog's name was Sharapova when I went to adopt him. Like, I'm not keeping that. (laughs) Right. Like, I imagine that is that is part of it, too. Um, and I didn't see this because I didn't read the experimental methods. Um, I just read, this is in scientific reports, so, so I just read the article. But the setup is, you say a word, well, they recorded the cat's owners saying a series of words and then the cat's name. And the point is to habituate them to you talking and then see if they react differently once they say your name. And this is an easier response to score than all the other ways that you can do with dogs. Because dogs will look at you and you can train dogs. But as it says in here, training cats was <laughs> time prohibitive. 
not possible. <laughs> so I love this. So you're just saying a bunch of words, and I don't know if they said which words they said, but in the graphs, it just says noun one through four. <laughs> yeah, it says they picked them from a list of nouns. Didn't say what they were, though. Just a list of nouns? That's super random. <laughs> okay. So you say noun one through four, and obviously when you start talking, especially if it's their owner, the cat's going to react to it. And so how does it react? Ear moving, head moving, actually meowing, tail moving, or it stands up to come towards you. Right. And so obviously with noun one, you get a lot of response because you just started talking. And then the responses go down. They don't care that you're talking. But then you say the cat's name. And you get a more vigorous response. And this is proof that the cat knows you're talking to it. Right. I love this. That's super cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But this works very well. There's a significant difference between the noun right before the cat's name. Um, And there's a sort of significant difference between the other cat's name in the household and that cat's name. All right, so if you have a multi-cat household, it knows the difference between its fellow muffin and then itself. But again, Cat Cafe doesn't really know, which makes sense because there's a lot of names being thrown around a lot. But also interestingly, they can tell if another person besides their owner says it. Right, which I to me makes sense because it's not necessarily the person's exact voice, it's the, the sounds. Right, um, and they said that they chose, I learned a new word in this, um, they chose words that had the same, pho- no, I gotta remember it, it's not phenom, but it's phonom, was that what it was? Yeah, like they had the same... Like syllabic gate. Mm-hmm. Phonem. Mm-hmm. Right. Which was like, phonemes were harder to me than uh, to understand than the word mora, which was the same syllabic. Yeah. So the nouns sound, sort of sounded like their names. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But they could still pick their names, whether it was their people or somebody else saying it. So, you know, Steve and Eve. Correct. So they yeah. would know. What I thought was the best about this was the discussion, obviously. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Do, do elaborate. <laughs> they went into this very interesting discussion <laughs> about how. <laughs> so you say your cat's name. And the cat reacts. It looks at you. It does whatever. Not many of them meow. And they say, even fewer of them get up to come to you. And they go into this very detailed discussion about they're clearly cat people. I want this understood from the beginning. (laughs) About how when you say a cat's name, it's contemplating whether something good is about to happen or something bad is about to happen. Right. And so I think, like, that they're talking about, like, the orienting behavior. Like, they do a whole lot of, like, head moving to look at you when you say its name, but not a lot of getting up. Because if you're talking to your cat, yeah, sure, you're like, maybe, hey, my cat's name is Mavis. Mavis, is it time to eat? Or is it Mavis, get over here, I'm going to comb you, which she hates. And so they're like, they don't come to you like a dog would. 
who's like, yes, yes, what are we going to do? Because they're trying to figure out whether you're saying their name for a reward or saying their name for a punishment. <laughs> Whereas the dogs are like, you said my name and we're best friends. Exactly. I love you so much. <laughs> and these cats are like, you said my name. Are we going to the vet? Because I'm going to sit here and then run the other way if we are. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought that was really funny because they spent a couple of paragraphs prescribing intent <laughs> to these cats movements. <laughs> so my, my summary of this when we were talking about the paper here at the house before we started recording was, yes, cats can determine if we're saying their name. They just don't care. They just don't care. <laughs> exactly. That's why I found this whole risk-reward situation <laughs> discussion amusing, because I believe it is also, they just don't care either way. Exactly. <laughs> I love this paper. We're absolutely doing one of the references in it <laughs> for next week's paper called Social Referencing <laughs> and Cat-Human Communication. <laughs> um, yeah, this is... This is really good. <laughs> so, Daryl, thanks for this. It was an interesting paper as much as a cat paper can be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me that you're not interested in singly living people and their cats, a study of human mood and subsequent behavior. <laughs> right. Don't tell me you're not interested in that reference. <laughs> Huh. Yep. Daryl, keep them coming. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. And, you know, when we were getting ready for the show, as soon as I crinkled the wrapper on yeah. the biscuits, both of my dogs came flying into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dog's barking right now. I think he wants to eat the rest of this digestive. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> well, if you've got thoughts on cats, dogs, or biscuits, we'd love to hear them. Shannon, how can they get hold of us? <laughs> Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on X at don'tpanicgeo. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. And thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to hear us eat more foods into a microphone, you can send us money to patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies. <laughs>